Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest where a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read, and who we like to read. It's like NPR on poppers. (laughs) I'm Tommy, a poet, performer, and Janet Jackson junkie. I'm Joe, a scientist, nonfiction writer, total bottom with a better tank top collection than Tommy. Okay. Oh well, my god, that's so rude. Um, fighting words. Put your money where your motherfucking mouth is. I'd like to see that shit. I'm Fran, a writer, editor, and aspiring best friend to Solange Knowles. <laughs> One day you I'll are. find you. <laughs> and I am Dennis, and I am a former figure skater and a lapsed violist, and in the spirit of fellow Clevelander Sheree Whitfield and her fashion line, She by Sheree, I am designer and creator of Didi by Denden. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Subscribe. Subscribing to Dennis's channel. Thank you. Joe, can you tell us what we got on the menu today? I would have loved to, boys. This week, we renounce our American passports, gorge on Taco Bell, and think about the things that we do because we absolutely have to. We ready? There we go. Mmm, I hear some stomachs growling, which means it's time for our amuse-bouche, a small bite for your palate and mind. And today we're going to amuse your bouches with a little segment that will no doubt recur called Un-American, where we nibble on some politics. And so being a show that is recorded from the front lines of the resistance, I wanted to broach this bouche by talking about ways in which we are personally resisting the new regime. Who'd like to start? I do feel like there are also like little things that I could do in my everyday. For example, leave the house in makeup or like black nail polish. Mm -hmm. That's like some stupid (laughs) thing where it's like, okay, it's tried of me to maybe call that a protest or to call that resistance, but it makes me feel great to be visible. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I know that sounds like super stupid, but I also live in a Hasidic Jewish community where like I stick out like a sore thumb. So So for me to leave the house, you know, during the summer and in like crop top and uh, you know, Daisy Dukes, I feel like it's too easy to like hide and to blend in, especially in the current, political climate that we're in and wearing faggy things is something that makes me feel resistant and to be clear though even before um the the impending regime i'd already felt like leaving the house looking faggy i was gonna i mean it's not like anything new happened like the reason why i wear my headphones all the time is because i don't want to hear somebody call me a faggot every motherfucking day so yeah Mm -hmm. 
I also firmly believe, you know, kissing in public. That's very important to me. Kissing everyone in public. Just kiss yeah. strangers in public. <laughs> kiss people. <laughs> we do not condone sexual assaults. <laughs> we do not. Consensual just kidding, just kissing kidding. at all times. Um, reading anarchist books. Reading amazing queer black texts. Reading Citizen on the subway. Reading, yeah. like, anything that yeah. activates you in public so that people can see the title of the book. Going to your local queer witch store. You know, I did that yesterday. <laughs> I went to, like, my favorite queer witch store. Um... Bought a T-shirt. They have some candles there. Can you Palisantel? But what is this? What is this? Is it called Queer Witch Store? Or? <laughs> Queer Witch Store Incorporated. No, the one that That's I'm a great thinking name. About, the one that I'm thinking about is actually called Other Wild. It has a base in L.A. and New York. You should go if you are in either of those cities. Um, but there are also just lots of places that sell wonderful witch supplies, crystals, you know, sage tarot cards, and then at the same time they sell, you know. Queer stuff, <laughs> lesbian t-shirts, <laughs> um, sweaters that have boobs knit on them. You know? So the place where you go get your spirit right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I also, <laughs> as I was writing, I wrote, going into, I was just like writing down a bunch of ideas. And one of the things I wrote was, going into large crowd, crowds of Republicans and farting? Question <laughs> yes. I, it, yes. It occurred to me that I don't know any places where large crowds of Republicans are. Do you guys Staten know? Island? St- yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, you just, oh, I mean, actually, your neighborhood was, like, was one of the only in the city that voted Trump. Oh, oh, oh right. That's because that's of the, true. So just allegedly fart a lot because at home. of the Hasids. Yeah, I should just yeah. fart a lot at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. That well, hey, and that makes it easier. I mean, honestly, if you're ever traveling out of state, like we have to remember that we live in New York. So like just fart all over the South, fart all over the Mason Dixon line, and you're likely good to go. I'm go. into that. Well, I agree with a lot of these because in a lot of these ways, Fran and I are very similar. In the last few months, I've taken to wearing shoes with heels. Yes. So it might just mean I have to step up this summer and start wearing stilettos like Oof. on oh. a daily basis to work. Um, so that's something I'm doing. Right, then. Mm. Um, definitely, like my work as a writer and as an artist, I think that um, for so many of us, like it's it could sort of feel anticlimactic to like make a greater commitment to do your work. But I think that... Um, that's so important because I feel like it's always the artists and the intellectuals who are pushing society forward, who are like putting up so much of the resistance, um, in addition to activists. And a lot of times there's a lot of overlap, but so really sort of in some ways putting your head down and getting your work done and then getting it out in the world so that your voice is heard is really important to me. How have you been um, doing that? I've actually, I, this is, it's like also a personal thing, but I've recently started something that I'm calling project get my life right, (laughs) where I'm like eating a lot better. I'm like, like cooking and stuff like that. But I'm also really working really hard to make the time to write every day. Mm. So for the last like week I've been doing that and I'm trying to do that so I can try and finish my novel this year and maybe work towards getting it into the world. And I'm going to circle back on this because it's something that I want to bring up at the end of the show when we do the the dessert. Mm -hmm. But giving the struggles that we're going to have to be going through, that we've already been through, I mean, each person in this room is going to be a target of the new regime in multiple different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's like job security, police Mm -hmm. brutality, immigration status, like the fucking pipeline, all these kinds of things. Like we are definitely like people, us and people we know and people in our communities are going to be uniquely targeted. And so it's going to be important for us to at least have that self-esteem locked down. Yeah, you know? Seriously. And to be feeling productive and to be feeling good in our lives. And that's a form of self-care when you really think about it, which is a form of resistance because making sure that you're giving yourself what you need to keep moving forward, the movement in a way, but it's also a form of self-care. And the other thing that I want to say is that this is a really great time, I think, for people who have the time or have the energy or have a method of doing it to um, 
invest some time and energy in working with young people because there are mm-hmm. so many young people who understand like what is happening in the world and they have thoughts and they don't always feel like they have the opportunity to express them or to get mm-hmm. them out. But I think that remembering that we have like a crowd of people who are younger than us who are looking to us in this time um, to know how they can place themselves in the world. And they have energy. Important. And they have energy. They have energy. They have so, they have so much, much energy. And they'll show up. Mm-hmm. They will show, they will up, show up at the up. protests. They will show up at the meetings. Team yeah. Vogue. So for me personally, I think that, like, I see it kind of in two different ways. Like, there's the resistance that I was already doing to neoliberalism. Like, mm-hmm. and that is just ongoing. Mm-hmm. So that is mm-hmm. things like, um, as a prison abolitionist, um, there's a Google Doc online that everyone should look at called What to Do Instead of Calling the Police mm. so that you can find mm-hmm. ways to intervene in conflict in your own life or in other people's without involving the state because when the state gets involved, oftentimes more violence is done and not less. Um, so that's like a big thing. Um, you know, all, My reading goes back and forth between political reading and then reading of you know literature for my work. Um, my political reading has shifted from kind of stuff focusing on neoliberalism to stuff focusing more on totalitarianism, yep. which is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how is stuff written about Stalin and the Nazis pertinent to our world? But it is. But it's there. But it's there. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been finding Hannah Arendt, particularly her book on the origins of totalitarianism, really terrifyingly insightful um mm. and it's not like pleasure reading it's dense but it is so on point that it's been really important for me to read that and understand that people have been through this before and understand the strategies that were used in those times to counteract um, propaganda state propaganda um, to counteract the mob uh, the mob of people who are buying into state propaganda um, and then on the personal side i've definitely i mean i've always been pretty open online but i'm even more so being very explicit it's important to call a spade a spade and so just engage in that type of truth telling as much as I can, um, regardless of the consequences. I mean, I know like my Facebook posts are public and it might make it harder for me to get a job, but we're just living in a time where the stakes are high mm-hmm. and we don't have a choice. Um, and then also on the personal side and self-care, I've been trying to have sex again, you guys. Yeah. Like it was for the month, it was a month after the election that I didn't want to have and like I don't y'all listening on the radio don't know me but these thoughts do and that is not <laughs> normal for me it's just not normal mm, to have no sex not. drive shocking should have I'm uh, so yeah um, I'm stunned I'm actually astonished I am gonna hop right on that absolutely I am definitely having more sex in 2017 like I feel so, like if, yeah yeah it's like gay sex is a revolutionary act in yeah. the face of homophobia yeah mm, it's just, a fist yes. pump. and being and being open it's a fist what a fist pump a fist oh, pump. oh my god Joe stop trying to fist somebody not everybody trying to be fisted okay not everybody is but the people who are we appreciate that <laughs> yeah, as well. yes we do yes do. we do so, you do you so i think that's yeah that's my list i've been doing a lot recently on one level there's a tiny letter called do a thing tiny com slash do a thing all so one good. word by uh shannon palace and jane c hugh and what they focus on is like doing a little thing every single day five minutes so mm-hmm. they give you a prompt like Donate $5 to PBS. Uh, take five minutes out from your lunch break, sh- break to call this representative. You know, And so it's very doable. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's been instructive for me to be able to, to have something that I can continue to do that doesn't wear me out completely. Right. And it, one that I want to do that I haven't done yet that I feel very passionately about is bystander intervention training. So mm-hmm. what do you do when you mm-hmm. witness somebody who is being assaulted? Because there are ways, there are parts of the city or the world that I probably am not going to be the victim. I'm not the most likely victim of 
a kind of assault, but right. there are other people around me who definitely are. And I want to be able to know what to do. And I've been reading some, um, um, but I want to do that more often just so that I'm ready. If something happens to just be like, no, not yeah. today, sir. And that's right. I think right now we're in a, in a waiting stage that is for sure all about preparedness. It's about like being ready and prepared politically, interpersonally. It's doing these trainings. It's like thinking. It's already having like visited these websites and have, having thought about what you would do in certain situations right. and having a plan. Yeah. You know? Stay ready. Yeah. Having yeah. a plan. That's the one. That's yeah. the thing, though. It's like if I don't leave the house and determined to help somebody with a stroller go down the stairs at the subway, I might just walk by. I don't right. know. It's like I have to leave and be like, if that happens, I'm going to help that person. Right, right, so yeah. mm-hmm. always be prepared. It's the yeah. one thing the Boy Scouts of America got right, you know? Yeah. Just always be well, prepared. Well, that and letting a bunch of boys go camping together. I boys. met my first boyfriend <laughs> in Boy Scout camp. Really? Well, yeah. That, it that was like a broke back mountain situation. Did. Of course you did. It was so, so romantic. Yeah. Actually, perfect. it was extremely not romantic. Everything smells at Boy, boy Scout camp. And like the only food Some they serve like you. The smells. We were just it, talking it, about this before we turned the microphones so on. It's in the woods. It's in the woods Ew. and you're, and you're no, in a tent. You guys, tent sex can be so sexy. No, it cannot because the canvas smells horrible. nature. Okay. Every single so man whose next book is called Nature Poem. <laughs> every well, every single time. It's all about how I don't know her. <laughs> every single time is filled with mildew, and it's mm. gross. No, and also, they, the only food they serve is chili mac, which is literally not chili. Not bottom friendly. It's not chili bottom with friendly. not at all. Not bottom friendly. What if you're a vegetarian like I was when I would have been of age to go to the Boy Scouts? Seriously. And also, can't they just run those tents through like a dishwasher real so, quick? Mm, then you oh, starve. You starve. Like you I, starve. Pers- I just remember I being like in eighth grade and like them serving chili mac, and I'm like, this is a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So for our <clears throat> impure thought, spelled T-H-O-T, uh, this week, Fran is going to give us a dispatch from Slut Country. Mm-hmm. Let me start off by saying that Tommy frequently calls me out for hooking up with best friends. Um, it's something that we've talked about before, about the, the idea of like hooking up with your best friend. and that, you know, it's I'm a fan. That, you know, I'm a fan too. I'm a fan too, but it was something I that I was... not. <laughs> because of Tommy, I was highly conscious of. <laughs> I recently um, went home to Chicago... And was, like, making plans with one of my best friends there. He's, like, amazing. He's wonderful. He's kind of like my Buddha. Like, I, I, I call him in situations where, like, I really need, like, some wisdom. He's always going to give me a really insightful answer without the context of my life to, like, sway his answer or, like, soften it for me, you know? It's um, a little bit like the reason why you go to a therapist is because they're not really involved in your day-to-day life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's my therapist, which I don't pay for. <laughs> um, and I, That's some in your 20s yeah. shit. And he also happens to be, like, extremely hot. And, like, he... So he has a mustache. He's so beautiful. Yeah, works at Equinox. Um, he oh, doesn't God. actually have a mustache, but what? We, uh, he doesn't. But when he, d- I mean, when he grows facial hair, it looks really wonderful. But what makes him beautiful <laughs> is his soul, right? Yeah, his soul and his beautiful, precious angel face, and nothing else. So we were gonna, we had made plans, and the plans like started late because of a few different like misaligned timelines. So we maybe started like linking up at like. 11 p.m. And like, I don't know if this is a thing in both the straight community and the gay community, but I know for gays that like 11 p.m. is like, like booty call time, mm-hmm. kind yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Or at least for me, because I'm a grandma. This was going into that direction. Well, that was my first hint. So okay. I was like, I was like, okay, he's calling me over at 11 p.m. I'm going to his personal home. I'm not meeting him. Oh yeah, somewhere. this booty call. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a booty call. Okay, great. Anyways, so I'm in my Uber on the way to his house. 
and I get a text from him that's like, are you here yet? Like, are you on your way? And I'm like, yeah, like, I already sent you my 18. He's like, good, because we're like going to my friend's house as soon as you get here. Like, they really want to see you. And they're just like all hanging out. And I was like, oh, so what? not booty call. I know. So I was immediately thrown off. and like, honestly, also a little pissed because I hate last minute planning. Like, you guys know me. Like, I'm always sending out iCalendar invites. Like, I, I like own that shit. So it's I hate it. By I hate surprises. So I was just like, I don't want to like. I'm not like dressed. I'm prepared to like meet like a whole new group of friends. And he's like, oh, but they're my best friends and they really want to meet you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I show up to his house. Flattery always works though. I know. He quickly gets ready and we head out the door to his friend's apartment, like a short Uber ride away. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, we enter into the apartment and let me just paint the scene for you. Inside this one bedroom apartment is four. I can't remember if it was four or five, four to five straight white women oh. who are completely shit-faced. I mean, re- redundant. There you is didn't have to say that. No music playing. The walls are beige. So There's annoying. no music playing. Oh the kitchen God. appears to be like devoid of alcohol. I'm triggered. So I'm sorry. They went some, there's no alcohol. They went somewhere else, got shit-faced, came back home, and we are in the last final stretch of whatever they're even And they don't got no booze for you. No, they don't have any booze for me. I'm just like, whenever somebody, they're, all their friends are only straight white women. That's like a red flag. Red red flag. It was a red flag for me. And I walk in and I think the most concerning thing is that like, they're not even just like shit face. They're like, I was like, one of these girls like needed to go to the hospital. I was just like, oh my God, this is like so bad. And so I walk in, they're like, there's, again, I remind you, there's no music playing. There's no vibe in this room. Just loud girls screaming and drunk. And I'm just like, and so I walk in the room and they're like, oh my God, redacted because I'm not going to say the guy's name. And they're like, oh my God, I love you so much. And they're like hugging and kissing. He goes to the balcony and they smoke a bowl on the balcony. I don't really smoke. Um, And so I was just like, do you guys have any alcohol? And they were like, um, I think we have fireball. And so I, in the desperate situation I was, a man completely sober filled with shit faced straight white women did shots of fireball immediately. I would have too. I literally did like, like imagine me doing three shots of fireball. In a row, I because had, I was like, like a Smirnoff friend. That's the point. <laughs> like anything. Like, yeah. like all yeah. they had Any, was Fireball. You, I would have drank Arbor Mist. Do you have Listerine? Like, <laughs> I was devastated. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> this is the worst thing. This is honestly Who the has worst heroin? thing. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Anything, literally anything. Safe to say, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. Um, so we stayed there for an ungodly amount of time, like at least like 45 minutes. I wanted to die. And I was like, okay, this is a boner stomp. This isn't going to happen. Yeah, stomp. And, and so we're at that point where I'm like, okay, it's like time to go. And they're like, oh my God, let's go whip you. And I was like, are you fucking no, kidding no, me? So no. we walk out of the apartment with these girls. The girl that has to go to the hospital is like literally being held up by the other girl. And I was like, you should just take this girl home? Yeah. Question mark. This is unsafe? Question mark. Um, <laughs> and so she was like, oh, but I like, I'm not tired. I really want to hang out with you guys. And this guy that I was with, he was like, well, come hang out with us. You can sleep at my place. Like, it'll be no. fine. And I was like, oh, double boner. So I was like, no, I was so pissed. I, when someone invites someone else back to the apartment, it's yeah, definitely not no. going to be know, a hookup. But no. hookup den- done. So, you know, there are two different versions of me. There's like friend, friend, like having fun, friend. And then there's like no fun, friend, like producer, friend. And I just like clicked into like producer, friend. And I was like, actually, we're calling it a night. Like, good evening. Like, go home. Right. And I literally just like grabbed his arm and I was like, it's time to go home. And so... 
we're waiting outside and I was like, okay, let's, let's go home. I'm tired. And the guy was like, oh, like, I'm still like, I still want to party. Let's go out. Let's go hang out. And I was like, okay, let's go. We go to Sidetrack, um, which is a wonderful Chicago gay bar that I absolutely adore. That was on my uh, gay bar or steak, uh, steakhouse sure list. Was. It, in fact, was. And the reason I love it is because it is trash. There are no bells and whistles, but there are lots of different floors that you can walk up and down Cheap on. Drinks. Oh, fun. I love. I love a gay bar with different floors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are in the Uber on the way there, and I was like, <clears throat> okay, this is great. Um, and we walk in, and it is, unbeknownst to me, a thing called musical mondays i've been to musical mondays <gasps> fuck off track. joe you are no, the devil reincarnate anybody who shows up to musical mondays with intentionality is a sociopath verified I mean, like, sociopath that's a joke but voluntarily so if you may not have guessed musical mondays is an evening in which they don't play any real music and they only play songs from musicals which i hate with and people belt and sing along <laughs> and i was like this is okay boner stomp like number two and i was like this or number three number four. number four by this point and i was like like, this is not going to happen. This is the least sexy thing anybody could ever do. You know what Musical Mondays ends up being is Murder Mondays. Because, like, mm-hmm. 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 absolutely. And so, I, we were there for also an ungodly amount of time, maybe like an hour, mm-hmm. over an hour. Did you have more fireball? I did not have more fireball. I had a, like maybe three, four. That's important context, actually. So, I now have three to four shots of fireball inside of me. And I then ordered two to three whiskey gingers which is my drink of choice um and so we decide to retire from this bar and i was like okay let's go home and he's like are you sleeping over and i was like yeah Yeah. why not it's like one o'clock in the morning like i'll sleep over that'd be great that'd be fun and he's like okay and so we are leaving the bar and i don't remember what led to this conversation but he said something to the effect of like like, oh, you want to keep spending time with me or something like that. Like, uh-huh, he was drunk uh-huh. and, like, starting to flirt. And I was like, I was, I said, and I, of course, whenever people flirt with you, I'm like, fuck you. And, like, I get really <laughs> defensive. And so I'm pretty sure my response was something like, you wish, bitch, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and we literally, I, I literally did my retaliation. And he knows me so well that he, we just immediately started making out. Like, okay. he knew that. Like, he, he was just like, he was like, I know, I, I know what I that know. means. This like, is definitely the plot of one of those like mid 90s like gay exploitation movies like, yeah. or yeah. like billy's on-screen hollywood kiss and one of those things or like anything that kate hudson has acted in yeah <laughs> no. honestly and so we make out and i so we, we were making out and then he like we he pulls away and he looks at me and he's like oh no and i was like what and i look down and i see what is the most enormous erection I've ever seen in my entire oh life. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. so big. And I was just like, oh my god, what am I supposed to do with that? I'm so scared. I immediately got really nervous because that's my reaction. Oh my god. But also really turned on. I love I love a big bulge. I love a mm. big bulge. I don't necessarily so love lovely. a big dick. I'll just say that, but I love a big bulge. Ooh, and so I love both. Me and his big bulge and myself. And I think we left the club with a drink because we're Rihanna. And we are on the Uber ride home, and I say that I'm hungry. And then he says, oh, my God, I am so hungry. And I was like, okay, we, maybe we should get something to eat. And he was I like, can't believe I'm, 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 I'm impressed. I know. And he was like, there's a Taco Bell by my house. Oh. He's, and I was, like, I was like, what? Like, I literally said, I was like, what? And he was like, there's a Taco Bell by my house. And he's like, he was like, let's go. And I was like, I 
are you sure? And then he to me, what that sounds like is we're not hooking up. We're not I know. Yeah. Boner stop number three. Boner stop number three. He looks at me and he goes. Up. He gets all daddy dom top on me and he goes change the uber like location we're Taco Bell. and i was like yes okay. sir so we go to taco bell and we we get in there he's chatting up like the cashier or whatever we ordered 20 dollars worth of things from taco bell that's a lot which if you've been to taco bell is extremely difficult to do that's like 40 things. things that's like 40 <laughs> things it's so much things from taco bell we ate all of it Ugh. All, every single thing was eaten. Oh, you're on so the, young. I love you. From I, listening to this story, I'm not going to be able to bottom for right. two days. Okay, yeah. seriously. Well, that's an important thing. Is like if you're, I mean, if you're not gay, you might not know this, but like in the gay community, Taco Bell is the kiss of death. It's like for romance and nothing sex. is like, going in anywhere. It means, Especially yes. when you get to be a little bit older, like me, and you can you don't have that enzyme anymore that digests Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And so I was like, we're not. This is it. This is cash and the chips. We're not having sex. Not happening. So we get into his apartment and he like immediately starts taking off his clothes and getting ready for bed because like I know him. He sleeps naked, whatever. I was like, okay. He starts getting ready. And so I start like getting ready for bed and he like throws me onto the bed. And I was like, oh my God. Like what? I was like, okay. So in my the whole time, my brain was like, but we just ate Taco Bell. <laughs> like, what's going to happen? And then we so proceeded true. to have the most amazing, incredible, like, wonderful, kinky sex that I had wait, wait, ever had. Wait, I have, I have a question. What? Things went in things. Things went in things. I bottomed like a mother And fucker. there was no, there was no, no aftermath, n- if you will? No, no aftermath, no cleanup, no mess. Bless it. Can we... Can, it was, when you just, see... Standing, Girl. standing like, O-Face, standing O-Face, standing O-Face. What do you mean? What do you mean? just eaten that. Maybe it hadn't fully no, had It's not going to work no, its way right? down, but it still makes you gassy no, and bloated and weird. It goes, it, goes from, like, it goes from eating to indigestion in minus 30 seconds. Yeah. But that also happened. Like, he, ate, he ate my ass. And as we, you were farting. And as I was farting. <laughs> he ate my ass. Is that what you were talking about when you said kinky? Is that what happened? He ate your ass and you were farting? I farted into his mouth. No, we had just wonderful sex. And so that is the wonderful and untold tale. That was great. Taco how Bell. I had mm. sex post Taco Bell. I that is I'm very proud of. It's very brave. That's one for the record book. I, mean, I think from what the I circumstances, I would also have tried, but there would have been sheet washing. The like, hum- it just would not have been a cute look. The word humanitarian doesn't <laughs> right. get used enough these days. I do believe that that does automatically place me into the running for a gay Nobel Prize. Yeah, it does. I'm not mistaken. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I love that it worked out for you. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Tom. That's beautiful. Jesus. That's how you know Jesus loves gay people. <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. Surviving Taco Bell. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's forward a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. 
Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards healthcare and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Get ready for a gloves-off spin on the Classic Advice Show with the Dear Chelsea podcast. Join comedian Chelsea Handler and her assistant slash confidant slash co-host Brandon Marlowe on the podcast that offers unvarnished, hilarious, and empowering advice to people from all walks of life. Drawing from her own experiences, Chelsea brings a fresh perspective to help listeners become the person they wish they could be. Instinctively, I would always tell everybody to just like reach for their dreams and, and go for it and take a huge risk in life. It's a weekly dose of in-your-face, unfiltered Chelsea. Oh, I've never wanted to be a mom, mm-hmm. but I could kill it as a divorcee dad. With insights and balance from Brandon along the way. And Brandon is like my little sidecar, aren't you? I am. I'm just here for moral support and a different perspective at times. Yeah, he's more reasonable than I am, so you might want to listen to what he says. Listen to Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Gabrielle Collins, period drama nerd, and your behind-the-scenes guide to Bridgerton. On Bridgerton, the official podcast, we're learning how this fantasy world dipped in history came to life. Daphne, her costume design really is about the elegance of simplicity. It's just color and shape. We went old school. And we got two scenic artists in who painted the backings for us by hand. These dukes are all like in their late 20s, early 30s. Almost all of them are unmarried, really good looking, and none of them have syphilis. Can you imagine when he looks into your eyes and then he dips you? We just heard this sort of ripping sound. Yep, I think there's just been a wardrobe malfunction. Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. I think it's time that we move on to the meat of our conversation, the thought process, spelled T-H-O-T. This week, we're calling it, Do I Have To? About obligation. And I'm going to tell you why I wanted to talk about this, because I learned something very dark inside of my soul. So a friend of mine who I love dearly and who will definitely listen to this, and I love you and please continue to send me essays. It's not your fault. But she sent me this essay by Anne Boyer called Clickbait Thanatos on the Poetics of Post-Privacy. And I opened it the way I open every essay, which is I read the first sentence and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I read the second sentence and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And then I read the third and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I have a confession to make. I can't read essays. 
I don't read them. I read yours, Joe. I read yours. All I write. Absolutely. And I'm sorry. I I don't mean to be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying this. I'm saying this with like love in my heart. And you read mine out of obligation. I did. I did. Oh my god. But I also liked it, and it was redeeming. And that's not the thing I'm talking about. I'm just like ask everyone that we know under threat of death. When was the last time you finished an entire book of poetry? Oh, I read poetry all the time. But an entire book yeah. of little poems. Yeah, same. Okay, yeah. Outer mm-hmm. Liar. Because I don't think <laughs> it's my job. Yeah, most people don't read full I books of poetry. I that can't read an mm-hmm. entire book of poetry. I mean, yeah. I read book-length poems because I feel invested. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it's like getting through the smaller things. I can't finish a book of essays. I can't finish a book of short stories. I mean, I finish novels, but it's like, it's almost like I feel like there has to be something at stake. And I'm sorry. I'm not shitting on what anybody does. I'm making this confession. These are my confessions. But <laughs> But, um, so I started to think about this, like, uh, in terms of, in, in, in terms of obligation and in terms of pleasure. And Joe was talking about this earlier in the, um, in the Amuse Bouche, where you talked about a book that you were reading that was like, it wasn't out of pleasure, but it, but it was more because you were getting something out of it. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we have the opportunity to selectively consume information, it's usually from a sense of pleasure or from a sense of obligation. Right. And I'm interested in that circuitry. Did you read the essay? Joe's essay? Joe's essay? No, I didn't. No, not yet. <gasps> Gay. Yes. I don't read essays. Just kidding. I love reading essays. She writes essays. No. And I love the not yet. Bitch, it's been months. So if it's not now, not ever. I know. I, I meant to read it, but I forgot the, about it. Oh my God. Because everyone, I forgot about it. Everyone in this motherfucking room was judging the shit out of me. And I just wanted to be like, no. The glass funny, houses. The funny thing is that they both told me they loved it. Oh, I never said that. No. Well, I, I did. Know. I definitely never said Hold that. Hold on. Hold I up. Pull up the receipts. Pull I up the receipts. I skimmed the essay. And I, didn't I told you skim I skimmed it. I didn't because even skim I was it. at work the day it was published. And I was like, I'm going to read it. When I, I didn't get even home. click the link. <laughs> okay. And then I forgot. I was like, he'll write another essay. Like, I'll, <laughs> that you won't read. I'll read it another. I'll read another essay at a later time. That's the important thing about all this is that, like, I never felt obligated to. Oh, wow. Like, I was like, I was like, okay, like, this is something that I definitely want to read in due time. And like, like Dennis, I was kind of like, okay, I'll book. It might be saved on my Instagram. So that's, that's super interesting. I think that but, in, our, in our group, we have different relationships to obligation. For example, mm-hmm. I was raised Irish Catholic. So like obligation is like the core of my ethos. It is just like who I am. And I do think that obligation has made me a significantly better human. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the work of becoming a not terrible person and like engaging with the world is hard work. And you, if you just do things that feel good or come easily, you're not going to do much at all. So, like, obligation is a huge motivator for me in terms of, like, doing the hard work of digging into texts that are, like, tough or that make me question myself or, like, uh, you know, that make me question the world that I that I live in. So For sure. And I think, too, I was going to ask you all if upon not finishing with the last thing that you decided to put down, did you feel guilty? Did you feel yeah. liberated? You know, because I, I think too, like one of the things that I'm interested in is this push pull between sort of pleasure and goodness. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get the pizza. I'm going to eat broccoli. You know what I mean? Or something like that, where it's right. like you, you, you do something that you recognize is probably better for you, but that maybe doesn't feel so good going down. Yeah. I just want to say like, for the record, I don't experience guilt like very frequently. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that really registers in with me. And like to the point, you know, we all have different relationships with like obligation and with guilt. And yeah. like, and that's something that has different importance for other people. So like when I don't read Joe's essay <laughs> about, about in the village boys or whatever, like I, I personally 
put it in context in my own brain and I'm like, oh, that's, it's not that important. Like, is it? That's one thing I wanted to talk about in terms of obligation is like the things that we feel obligated to do out of like love and interpersonal connection feel much more meaningful to me than the things we feel obligated to do out of like some sort of external force. And that's what I wanted to say about the pinch on it's I was reading that because like good capital letters, good American writers are supposed to read good American books. And that's like, you know, it's like a good English language book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had just read, though? I had just read David Foster Wallace, The Infinite Jest, and I loved it. Ew, and that's disgusting. like, that's like a, another huge book. And I was like, I'm going to do this. This can make me a better writer. That's the worst. But I sentence. felt like <laughs> you've ever said. <laughs> yeah. I, what? I, I, I felt like it was just, I was doing it out of the wrong type of obligation. I was doing it out of an obligation to a culture that I didn't feel a part of and mm, that I didn't want yeah. to be a part of. But you read like, these recently? This is this recent? was This was maybe three or four years ago when I was oh, starting okay. to like okay. really think about being a you know, professional writer more seriously. Um, but I think that the things we do out of obligation to the people we love are like super, that's one of the ways that love operates is like by actually like investing and buying and reading Tommy's book, you know, which I also love because I, it's a good book, but like, I also love, especially because it's written by someone who I love. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. I'm surprised to say I did actually read your whole book and I purchased it. I'm sorry. Like I'm, well, you did write a review for it on Amazon. So (laughs) that's true. I did. Um, yeah, I, you know, so wait, uh, I, when you came to your point, I was like, wait, so you, you love David Foster Wallace? I do, actually. Mark? And I love his essays in particular. Okay, I love his essays. That's supposedly infinite... fun thing we, we do that we're, I'm never going to do again, the one about being on a cruise ship. A cruise ship, yeah. That's, That's great. great. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I love his essays as well, but Infinite Jest is nothing but an obligation embodied. No, that it's is li- so good. No, that is, oh that my is God. literally... I can't even, it's, I'll just take an hour showing <laughs> you about what you're wrong. Let's table this it's conversation. That's, that's a whole other episode. But, um, I do feel interested. like my... This... I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but like I personally don't give a fuck about birthdays. I will never oh. remember people's birthdays. I forget them all the time too. Ever, ever, ever. Like even my best friends. See, birthdays. that's a big problem to me. I, like, like, I don't know right. my best friends' birthdays. So either. that's the thing is that there's a, there are two different kinds of people in this world: people that care about birthdays and people that don't. And Joe's I mean, one of those people I'm, who's like, if, the, actually, if you don't get a no, text on your birthday, I, I, I don't think this is about birthdays. I get the sense that to you, it's a metaphor. You show your love in other ways right. than through these things that feel obligate. Like you right. don't. So so that I think that's the difference. Is I feel like for me, both giving and receiving. Like showing up on my birthday or reading a thing that I wrote is like how you show me you're close to me. I don't give a fuck about like some random person I don't know that well showing up on my birthday. But if one of my best friends doesn't show up at my birthday or doesn't contact me, that's really, really hurtful. Yeah. So it's just I think the difference is like how you actually show that you care and like how you show up for other people. Not it has nothing to do with birthdays. It has everything to do with obligation. Right. Well, but mm. I do. Right. But right. do you feel obligated to remember things about your best friend? I mean, shouldn't you just know things about your best friend? I <laughs> forgot the birthdays of three best friends this year. I'm like the person in this conversation who is not just the one who feels the most obligated to do things, but the one who is like actually arguing that obligation is a f- force for good in life. <laughs> like wow. it actually. Like I can't tell you how many books. 
I've read that were boring or that weren't fun, but they've made me so much better of a person. And I think of a lot of philosophy like Foucault or like Judith Butler. I think of like some radical pedagogy stuff like the pedagogy of the oppressed. These are not fun things to read, but like my whole life and outlook would be different if I hadn't sat down and engaged with those texts in a way that I was doing because I felt obligated. And it also comes from my personal politics that like it's my whole life is about making the world a better place. And so I need to be able to educate myself on like how to do that. And, and so does everything but have also, to be pleasurable? Right. Well, exactly. Well, no, lots of things don't have to be pleasurable but i think that like the real difference there is that in those moments you're reading something and you may not be enjoying it but you're like i see the value in this if i see the the value in something and i think i'm going to take something away from reading this even if even if i don't like it then i'm going to continue reading it's enjoyment versus value enjoyment versus value and i don't even think it's a like they're not necessarily pitted against each other it's just that like you have to find some because enjoyment is its own value Mm -hmm. but it's like you have to find the value in something in order to to complete it and if you don't or it's not the value that you feel like you need or that you want then you have every right to set it to set it down and move on to something that you think will bring you that another reason why i wanted to come to this conversation is that like my purview is the long poem the Mm book-length poem which is ostensibly mm-hmm. the most boring exercise you could go through right. perhaps because so so when i say that i don't like essays i'm i'm not saying that like that i'm not reading something because it is difficult or because it is long you know i think there are just ways in which you choose to consume media for example yeah. my best friend who i love she smells like farts because she eats farts all the time. You know why I can say that? Because I know she's not not going to get this far through a podcast. <laughs> she's just not going to. Lauren, get, get at me if you hear this, but I know you're not, going, not going to. to. <laughs> she, she cannot listen to a podcast. Wow. She was like, I would read yeah. it in an essay, but I can't hear people talk about it. And uh, that's just and how that's we're fine. different. Yeah. That's totally fine. And it's like, I would love the podcast version of the essay. Because I could uh, do that. You know, it's just different. Yeah, the way around. Because it's much I harder love, for me with podcasts. I love the sound of people's voices. Uh, like, my parents read to me all the time when I was a child. Mm-hmm. You know, and they would do all the voices. That's why I feel like I have a very flexible voice in terms of things that I can do. Because my parents read to right. me and they did all the voices all the time, you know? So I love listening to people. Yeah. So that just, like, that it goes to... What I meant to say by that is that... I could do the podcast version of the essay, but I don't think I can do the reading, even though I love reading. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do, we all have like different ways in which we want to consume things in which we can take them in. And that's just, that's just sort of the way it is. I don't think that it's always a judgment on, oh, there's value to this or this isn't, or it's boring or it's pleasurable or it's not. And I just don't want to do it. Like it's sort of like with students, like with young people, like many, there are so many different ways of learning and with the young people, like, they don't all learn in all ways. And it's, mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same thing. And that's probably why being an educator is extremely difficult because yeah. it's a almost like a good educator. A good educator because you understand that you have to tailor what it is that you say or do to different types of people, mm-hmm. different peoples. And you have to be intuitive about how people learn, maybe. Yeah. I, I do feel like if you are doing something that you are doing because you feel like you su- you're supposed to, like that immediately become should be like a little red alarm bell in the what back about of your something head. you have to do to get paid oh god but that's also an obligation mm-hmm. right for mm-hmm. sure an easy example if you're a freelance writer and you're sitting writing the bios for doctors on zocdoc.com to mm-hmm. make a living right you are living a very miserable freelance writing life and you are probably making money but you could make as much money by working harder to write things you actually like. 
Hmm. for other publications working so, harder like like as in doing a different type of meaning ch- uh, like having the, the challenge is different right meaning like i would probably get paid less to write something for vice or lenny letter or refinery 29 Certainly or whatever public, word yeah whatever exactly but if i hustle and i really work for it i can do something that i enjoy in my day-to-day and really work for it and that's kind of i, I do say that that's a kind of a privileged thing to say because if you are even in a place to be a freelance writer, which is also often like the worst thing ever, a career, the worst thing ever. And also a career that's supported by like wealthy parents. There are different choices out there. You know what I mean? Do you find everybody in this room? I'm asking you, do you find writing pleasurable? There's a, there's a transcendent joy in it. Like when you get that one line that you've been waiting for, that's perfect. That, that is like, I think there's a difference between pleasure and joy, and Zadie Smith has an essay on that. That like pleasure might be something that you feel in the body, like sorry, I didn't get to it. I'll get to it exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and that joy is something like writing or having children, something that might be like miserable most of the time, but has like transcendent moments. I think doing science for me is very similar. That like it's a slog most of the time, but then occasionally you get to be the one person to know something about the world for the first time, ostensibly, you know, if we kind of understand that and and writing is the same. So it's like, it's joyful, even if it's not always pleasurable, but it can, but it can be pleasurable. I think, I think it really can when I'm like really sort of in the zone and I'm really feeling what I'm doing and I'm like fully engaged and I feel like I'm connected to that thing that I can't name that I sort of feel like feeds me what I need to put out the sentences that I want to put out. Um, for me, that's the greatest feeling in the world. Like that, I, I would take that over an orgasm any day. I love that like, you like that because that terrifies me mm. and, and writing is ho- horrifying to me and I mm. hate it. And I find that it's like pulling teeth and it makes me want to run away and hide. Mm. And it makes me feel like I'm about to throw up. Like, you know, that so feeling you when, do it? cause I'm good at it. and because you're like you're like it's like an addiction like i was thinking about it absolutely Mm -hmm. i have an addictive personality and if writing didn't fill that thing something else would and (laughs) i would be living a a much more destructive life girl keep it together keep writing i think i I write for the exact same reasons because i definitely don't I definitely don't love writing. If I would do it, I would be waking up at 6 a.m. every single day to do it, but I don't. I mean, I, yeah, I write when people tell me I'm good at writing, or I write when I'm Mm. like, I know that this piece is going to perform very well in whatever platform I'm going to put out on. Um, Which is why, you know, I might write long Instagram captions, or I might Mm. like send out tweets like every other day because it's like, I get, I'm so, and I know like this is me admitting faults, like, great. I get the immediate like feedback mm-hmm. and the immediate kind of likes of of what that means back to me, um, which is why I know yeah. that I don't really like writing as much as I like telling stories and hearing people react to them. I mean, the reactions are important for sure. Yeah, they I, are. I've been thinking about it a lot recently in this way. I don't write because I have something to say or I feel like I have something to say. I just have enough faith in what I'm saying to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's a really, really astute point. When I was like sort of just beginning to write very seriously, which was like right after I graduated from college, I was just beginning to like immerse myself into it and like read books by authors that I was discovering and loving and like l- reading interviews to them and listening to interviews on the radio or like on YouTube and things like that. I would like try and find all this information about their sort of 
peace of mind. And I often felt like I heard people saying, well, if you have something to say, but it wasn't the writers who were saying that. I felt like it was readers who often would say, well, if you have something to say, then you should be a writer. But it was so interesting because writers always talked about either like their enduring love of the work. Or the craft. Of doing the work or the craft. Like they didn't talk about necessarily. Most of them talked about writing as the place where they go to sort of sort through the world, which felt like it made sense to me. Like I have always processed everything, understood everything through words and through language and through nothing else. Absolutely. And it's different than therapy. Mm -hmm. It's different than therapy. Writing is therapeutic, but it is not therapy because therapy is sitting in a room with a person who is charging you money and they have Mm -hmm. like a degree or whatever. And I think that another difference is that... And the goal is different. The goal goal of therapy is is being a better person. The goal of writing writing is to create art. Well, I think the goal can be similar if you think about honesty. If you think the mm-hmm. goal mm-hmm. is to be as honest as possible in front of a person and as honest mm-hmm. as, as possible so those on are a page. vulnerability required in both. Yeah. yeah. But what's interesting is that I think when you're with a therapist, like you've brought another person into the moment and it's their job to take the word vomit or the mess and, and help you re- and make sense right. of it and help They're you like reconstruct your personhood. Yeah. They're like yeah. an editor. Yeah. But mm-hmm. even as a writer, you're your own editor at, at some stage before like you don't just present word vomit to an editor. Like you, you know, you craft it, you form it, you you rewrite, you edit, you revise. And so it's sort of like your audience um, is different. Your audience is different and you're bringing in, you're like tag teaming in another member, which I think is really cool. The interesting <laughs> thing for me... It always comes back to threesomes with you, doesn't it? <laughs> bitch, I've only had two. And neither of them was particularly good. Um, well. But the other thing I was going to say is that um, when I think about when I think about sort of the early years of my writing, um, I came to the conclusion pretty early on, which is which still holds true, that if I ever had to choose between being a writer and being a reader... I would give up being a writer and I would be a reader because mm. like I, my love, like I love, I love writing when it's going well and all that stuff and I find pleasure in it, but it's not always fun. Like it's a bit of a slog and that's okay because I've chosen it as my job and my vocation. So that's totally okay. But, um, what I love, what like really gives me life is, is reading is like consuming other people's work. Hmm. So, um, that's just something that I've thought about. Like I heard Zadie Smith say that on an interview once way back, like before I even got my MFA and I was like, Oh my God, that's so true. If I had to choose like today, I would choose to be a reader. I don't think I can do that. I think I would have to choose to be a writer. I think because that's something that, I mean, I do both of those things every single day, but I feel so much more defined by one of them than the other in a weird Mm, way. Yeah. Yeah. But I I feel like Fran would say the same thing. I would say writer because I hate other people's opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would also say reader. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like to use this moment actually to pivot between talking about obligations as it comes to like writing and literature and obligations as it comes to sex and dating. (laughs) If you will, and I also wanted to pivot on Dennis's point about loving the work and loving words and then do a little thought exercise with y'all. If you'll you'll go with me. So this thought exercise that I want to go on, I'm so excited about it. I have been consorting with my girlfriend, Miriam Webster. I think you know her. Um, <laughs> my one true love. I do love the English language more than I can ever probably say, which fucks me up as a Kumeyaay person who doesn't know their indigenous language. But that's uh, the subject of my first three books. Anyway, <laughs> so obligation is a noun. That means having to do something out of a sense of duty or law or custom. Yes. So handing in your tax returns if you want to become the president. <laughs> <laughs> well. 
And one of the things I love the most about looking up a word in the dictionary is the entomology, because you get the caravan of a single word, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, obligation. Uh, From about 1250 to 1300 AD, from the Middle English, from the Old French, and ultimately from the Latin obligatus, or bound. And the stem, obligate, is the verb to bind morally or legally to an action. And in biology, an obligate refers to an organism that is restricted to a particular condition of life. For example, an organism that can only live in an absence of oxygen. Without oxygen, typically, or with. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, something bound to a particular environment. And the origin of obligate is also from the Latin ob, which means towards, and legatus, which is the past participle of legare, which means to to tie or to bind. The ligate in English is the verb to bind or tie up as in surgery. So when you you suture something, Mm -hmm. that's a ligate. And the agent of this binding is known as a ligature, which is the bandage or the whatever you use to sew up the wound with. But as it concerns... uh, typography and writing, which is our domain, a ligature is when two letters combine to form a single character. For example, A and E is a ligature. Like A and ampersand is a ligature from the handwritten Latin E-T, which means et, that's and, as in et al, et cetera. I'm going to be a huge band nerd and add in that the woodwinds have ligatures that ties the reed to the instrument. So So it's also like a putting of two things together. Mm -hmm. So ligatures and abbreviations have been around from the advent of the written word in order to save time, obviously, Mm. because time is money. The earliest types of writing for accounting. So you knew how much grain was in your silo, you know, Mm -hmm. or in your pyramid if you're Dr. Ben Carson. (laughs) So... It's interesting to me that an agent of saving time is hidden within the word that means like to follow a duty, which to, to me suggests spending more time on something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's sacrifice of time, which got me thinking, isn't that the reason why we put down a book? Because we feel like we're wasting time. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. feeling of wasting time, to me anyway, is one of my top three worst feelings. And, the, the, mm-hmm. and that it causes a feeling of disgust inside of me mm-hmm. makes me suspicious about it because mm-hmm. disgust is tied to mortality. Mm-hmm. So the feeling of wasting time is bound to the feeling of mortality. So do you just not finish that book of poems because you're afraid of dying? Oh. Oh my <laughs> wow, it just goes all the way. Zero to a hundred. <laughs> But I mean, yes, it is. It is. It's the understanding that time is finite, that you Mm -hmm. don't have infinite time to read infinite number of books. And so if you do put it down and you put it down so that you can read other things that might be more pleasurable or valuable or transcendent. So as we talk about. Well, I was, and I was just going to say that by the time you get to sort of where we are in our writing careers, you're very familiar with the concept of the fact that ultimately as writers, what we're always striving to do is to produce a piece of writing that is going to be worth a reader's time, energy, effort, etc. Absolutely. And so as obligation relates to commitment, 
I wanted to ask Joe, being the only person on this panel who can keep a man. Uh, oh my that god, that is so <laughs> true. Whoa, <laughs> I would object, but yeah, I am, I am, I'm here for the shade because it's just the truth. I just have to like let it out every now and then, like a fart. So, <laughs> in your in your estimation, what are the obligations of a healthy relationship? Oof, I mean that's tough. I feel like I'm in my first one in about a decade. Um, a lot of relationships that I've had um, with men have been um, less than healthy. A lot, of, a lot of it has to do, I think, with a lot of internal, internalized homophobia and trauma that people and myself have had for being gay. But um, I definitely think, you know, the obligations of a healthy relationship are being honest, even about what's ugly. So it's like being open and forthcoming, even about like, oh, I would like to, you know, even if you are in a fully closed relationship. Like, I, th- there are times when I would like to sleep with other people. It's like a really ugly, it's like being able to say those ugly things. Mm. Being able to say, I live with my partner now. So being able to say, like, I need you or I need to go to the other room. And, like, that is what I need. Um, I think that's the biggest. And, like, that kind of honesty, even when it's difficult, trickles down into every aspect of the relationship. That's, like, the one, I think, obligation. And the one thing that I've been most afraid of because I sometimes... Again, I think there's a certain amount of internalized homophobia in me. I've sometimes not wanted to own up to my desires Mm. to be like, Mm -hmm. actually, you know, I've always wanted to be that type of homosexual who's like, oh, I'm so happy in a monogamous relationship. And I am. But like, that doesn't mean I don't want to like look at other people and that there aren't desires to fuck other people. So owning up to that has been really critical for me to grow up into a mature relationship. And even if we decide not to talk about it whenever it comes up, that like just being open with with the facts of the matter. Mm. Um that's the that's the one thing I would say from my first healthy relationship looking back to those that were less so. I'm the kind of person who like if if what if I'm in a conversation and I'm and I'm supposed to say something if it's not going to come out of my mouth sincerely, I won't say it. <laughs> and that can be something as simple as like mm-hmm. oh like how like if someone says, "Oh my god, how was your day?" and they tell them I, if I don't really care about how their day is, I'm not going to ask it back. Mm. Like, and that makes me sound like an awful person, I know, but that's just like how my brain is hardwired. And I, there are lots of exceptions. And there are a lot of different ways in which I break that rule. But like in a relationship, if, you know, if someone said I love you, I would never say I love you back if, if I, I didn't mean it. And that's kind of an extreme example. But I also like if I'm in a relationship and they say, Oh God, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like it, there's a lot of reciprocation in relationships as we all know, especially verbally. So when someone says, Oh my God, you're so hot. Oh my God, you look so good right now. The obligation is to say, Oh my God, you look so good baby too. And like, luckily for me, I haven't had to like, just say thank you. I know. (laughs) Right. But that's homosexuals. I don't think this is the way people should do relationships. This is my shitty characteristic that I have to work through. I'm just like saying like, honestly, that's kind of how my, how my brain is hardwired. And like, that's something that I think people should train themselves to think against in relationships in that like, I should practice exercising, figuring out how to say it in a genuine way or how to figure out how that could come from a place genuinely just by thinking about it a little bit There's like a fine line, right? Because it's like my worst nightmare is my partner or my boyfriend like telling me I'm hot when they don't think that, you know? Exactly. That's that's horrifying. Right. But there's also like an empathy and a kindness to being like – 
my part like there are times when I know my partner needs to hear that he's hot. And basically when I am when I love someone, I think they're hot all the time. Like I've had yeah. partners that I've dated for years, they people go up and down and wait, whatever. It's like if I love you, I find you fucking hot hmm. basically all I, the time. And so I, it doesn't feel like out of obligation. It's like yeah. if if you if I am sensing that you need to hear that you're hot, I will just tell you that you're hot because I because you're you know you're hot yeah. you're hot to me exactly and I believe um, this is the thing I I have to say that in some ways I think in a very similar way and I don't know that I think that it's the wrong way to think because I think it's very honest what's and a similar even, way well so but like baby I love you uh-huh. oh, well, but you even know. Joe's talking about it's so important to stay honest in a relationship right and like at the at the core of honest what you were empathetic. saying it's like a well, mix honest, of honest and empathy but honest honest but empathetic sure but I just I'm not entirely sure that those two values are outside of what like Fran is saying in terms of like wanting to be sure that he's like performing the honesty that he feels, which is how I hear sort of what you're saying. And so for me, I mean, I can come right out and say that I think the reason why I can't maintain a real relationship is because that at the end of the day, like I still have a feeling that I first and foremost, I have to take care of and protect and watch out for myself mm. because if I'm not going to do it, like who's going to do that? Like yeah. I'm an adult person. Like I'm not like married. I'm not in a serious relationship. And so maybe it's hard for me to like adopt a different like mindset because I haven't really been in one, but I just feel like I have to like do that first. And so I'm still in a place right now where like, I feel like I need to put myself first and being the at the point at which I'm in with my writing career too, in particular, I very much feel like that has to come first right now. Not that I'm like even in a place where I would be like seeing someone and like there would be competition. But you feel like you're, you you want to have a relationship with your writing more than you want to have a relationship with a man. Yes, right now. Absolutely. It scares me because I feel like where will I be in 10 years? Like when I probably don't won't feel that way. But that's where I am right now and that's sort of it. But I think that um, like I'm very proud of the fact that I want to put myself first you know unless someone makes that like real commitment and is able to like do that like they're gonna look out for you in ways that you don't have to look out for yourself they're gonna protect you in ways that you may not have to protect yourself or or take care of you or whatever like you have to show up for yourself but does being in a relationship mean that you can't be there for yourself no absolutely i mean that's that is like codependency in a toxic relationship Mm -hmm. like a good relationship is two people who are there for themselves and one another i don't think it means that but i I often feel like the men that I interact with, ding, 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 ding. They think that that's what it means. No, no, no. Not like Joe, but like the men that I will interact with that like, that like sometimes want to date me. um, They're, I I feel like they, that that they think that that's what that means. Like you put, you completely put yourself aside. I mean, codependency is a red flag in dating. Yeah. Like it's just like not a cute look. I feel like, I just feel like there's a lot of it out there and I'm like not interested. Like I'm very independent. I'm super busy. I have a thousand and one things going on in my life and I love all of them and I'm dedicated to all of them. So like, I need you to sort of understand that I'm not like, I'm not a guy who's going to come right and be like, Oh baby, I need you. I need you like two dates in. That's just not me. Uh-uh. Well, not we all, you know, we all get motivated by different things. And some people are motivated by obligation and some people are motivated by revenge. So I got that full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me type of feeling. So I think it's time for dessert. And mm. for dessert today, I think we should have, we should talk a little bit about Pretty Big Movement and Akira Armstrong. Akira had gone to LA to shoot a Beyonce video and tried to find representation, but couldn't because she was plus size. And 
She had been fighting this derision her entire life, people Mm -hmm. not taking her seriously, people not responding to her as if she was a person with agency because of her size. She's a dancer. And she's a a dancer. Dance is super toxic. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mention that in the beginning. But yeah, it comes under intense body scrutiny. Huge. And so what she decided to do was start her own plus size dance company called Pretty Big Movement. And I thought what encouraged me about this was somebody who had been rejected from traditional forms of access and decided to make her own lane and decided that she was going to be the arbiter of her own self-worth, that it wasn't going to be somebody accepting her into, or that that she was going to place her worth on being accepted to a dance company that she would make her own because she is unprecedented because being unprecedented can sometimes make you feel like you don't fit in, Yeah. but actually there are other people like you out there and creating your own media is something that we all wanted to do by making this show as well. Mm -hmm. And that, again, like we're all going to become under fire in the new administration. And I think giving hope, like I think what Akira does, in addition to giving her own self value, what she is deciding to do is give her community value as well by giving them shine. They're so fucking dope. I mean, they're just like the, the video and like, One of the amazing things, I mean, the internet is a dumpster fire, but the internet is also amazing because one of the things that it does is give people who are normally excluded for access, you can make your own community. That's always been there. People have always made communities for themselves. But what you can do now is if you're a content maker, you can put that community out there and other people can connect to it. That shit can go viral. So it's like making entire, entirely new power centers of content creation where like plus size women can be dope. I mean, they're just fucking, um, the videos are incredible. And there have been videos of um, people doing ballet as well, the same types of things, where it's like plus size people who are normally totally kicked out of that world. Or yoga. Like totally yeah. doing these viral videos. And it's like people just register. It hits people and it, it's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. As um, someone who was extremely, who is overweight in uh, a whitewashed suburb of Chicago where like I knew like three other Puerto Rican people who had no hand-eye coordination but really, really wanted to know how to dance. I (laughs) would have killed to have this kind of, to have access to the internet, one, um, because we had dial-up back then, and two, to be able to see representation like this because I know that what I was watching on TV was nothing like this. It's a game changer. And when I found out that she was in a Beyonce music video, I was shocked because all the Beyonce music videos pre you know to like pre the new emergence of beyonce that we've seen have all looked like kind of the same yeah. girls that we see in music videos yeah so i i was kind of surprised and like excited by the fact that she yeah. had gotten in as early as green light and get me bodied which are incredible music videos oh, yeah. um and so i'm always the one who's thinking about the kids because i'm thinking about little fran back in 2000 whatever i'm just redacted oh everyone everyone was like don't say it don't you dare I mean, say you what year the, the 2000 and yeah, it, was, it was like no. you fucking fetus oh, like but, damn, it. Oh, damn no. it i um, love the 90s but, exactly i remember the 90s <laughs> but god bless akira like god and for her to god, for her so to go good. and be like not only i'm gonna dance but i'm gonna do it in a crop top. Yeah. And I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Yeah. It's like the opposite of hiding. It's embracing the very thing that you're meant to be shameful for. Which exactly. like yeah. all people of yeah. difference can can just 
appreciate, yeah. Well, and also really taking ownership of sort of the marginalization and working through that. But the thing that I wanted to also mention about this is that, like, Akira was having trouble getting representation, and so she was like, let me do this on my own. And that's, like, such an incredibly active form of resistance that we've seen when we talk about, like, writers of color, artists of color, like, like people who are coming from marginalized communities, that they have to, like, take that extra step and, like, do their own to provide that path for them and for mm-hmm. others like them. It's the most incredible thing. But it's people have been doing it for decades. That's what Motown is. Like, that's mm-hmm. how Motown was created. And so I think um, it's amazing that she's just kind of joined this, like, long line of um, of, of people who have just kind of figured out how to create their own path. And then you make space life for doing what they want to do. And then you make space for other people. You forge a path. Like, you, 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 you clear the trees down in the forest, and there's a pathway that other people can take. That's right. Yeah, that it can be both self-fulfilling and inspirational yeah, yeah. so exactly. you're our dessert this week akira we oh, love you thank you i mean we have to cheers we have to cheers cheers to it girl cheers to akira food for thought is made possible by the generous unequivocal support of rosé our engineer is Tom Tierney in Spaceman Sound Studios in the heart of Industrial Greenpoint, New York. And our producer is the saintly Julia Alsip. I'm Tommy Pico. You can find me at HeyTeebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S on all relevant social media. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. And I'm Fran Torado. You can find me at Fran Squish. Co on any social media you want. Fran Squish, no. Oh, oh my, you know what? That's also also true. (laughs) And I am Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T H E E A R L D E N D E N. Or my website, www.dennisnorrisii.com. I love how she has to be the second. That is just right. so, the queeniest thing you do. It's just it's, like, I'm the second. It's so bougie. Well, the first is not here, so That's it's correct. me. Who subscribe, go. rate, and review us on iTunes to help catapult us towards fame and fortune and inevitably Betty Ford? <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Sign up for our newsletter at, for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delight content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com and finally email us with your questions thoughts concerns and we might just answer them in a future segment called hey penny for your thoughts at (laughs) thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com as always that's food the number four and thoughts spelled how T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. Uh, thanks for listening and see you in a couple weeks bye 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 yeah okay Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.